building on a full and accurate truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the scriptures speak. This is the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 14 of the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. We have a very special topic today. And it's one that's been burning in our hearts for a while. Yes. I'm Alexander Ortiz. I'm my Christian co- Lopez. I'm my co-host. Thank you for being here. As always, we are grateful to have you. And this topic is going to be an interesting one. We've got an interview. We've got someone lined up that's going to be joining us soon. And it really is, the topic is, how does God speak to us? And why is this so important? Because there's so many people out there that have a view of how God speaks to us outside of the scripture that we had to address this. Yeah. I mean, this is something that we've had these conversations in our own family because, and and friends included in our circle of influence, we've always had these conversations like, you know, people hear whispers or whisperings or nudgings, like, you know, God spoke to me today. And those are always things that are like, ooh, I need to address this. (laughs) It's a little cringy. It is a little cringy. You're right. It is a little cringy. But I've always, I've always wanted a way to address this, and I think we found a very wonderful way to do that with our guest. He's going to help us with this topic, so I'm excited. How about you, Christian? I'm super excited, super stoked. Uh, we both read his book, God Doesn't Whisper, and uh, th- he just really goes into it so you know so well, like uh, about this topic. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say through some of the questions that we're going to be asking him, and going through some of the topics that he goes over in his book. So. All right, we're going to go to our Prevail studio line. We've got Pastor Jim Osmond on the phone. Pastor, how are you? Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you, and I'm doing well. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining us, and Christian and I are really excited. Yeah. We pride ourselves on this podcast that we kind of carry a conversation. This podcast is kind of an outgrowth, a conversation we have in our family all the time about Scripture. But this one, this topic, uh, how God speaks to us, it's something that has always been a challenge with people who are well-meaning, okay, and seem faithful in the Church and in the Word, but have just their doctrine and their theology just tweaked not exactly like ours and we run into our these situations where like oh well you know god doesn't really speak outside of scripture and you kind of lose them so this is a conversation we've been excited to have for a while so we really appreciate your book And, and pastor jim osmond is the author of the book god doesn't whisper Okay, and that's the book mainly that we're going to be kind of tapping into and part of the scripture today, too, and get Pastor Osmond to speak about it. And I guess the first thing I want to do, Pastor, is why don't you just tell the audience a a little bit about yourself? Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I'm uh, 50 years old. I pastor a church in rural North Idaho, just outside of Sandpoint, up by the U.S.-Canadian border. I've been doing that since December of 1996, and it's the church that I ended up attending as a teenager um, in youth group and Sunday school, and after Bible college, my wife and I got married and attended here, and I was just kind of in lay ministry until I was asked to take over the preaching ministry in December of 1996, and so I did that then and been pastoring the same church uh, since that time, uh, now 26 years. Wow. That's awesome. 
So with regards to God Doesn't Whisper, and this is not your only book, and we're going to put every all the information, folks, that you hear us talk about on the podcast, it's going to be in the show notes, linked to his books, linked to his church, linked to anything related to what we're talking about here, and that's just for our audience benefit. But what motivated you, Pastor, to write this book? Uh, well, uh, part of it was coming out of some bad theology back when I was in Bible college, and I talk about this in the first part of the book. Um, I didn't grow up in a church-going family, and so even after I attended church and the Lord saved me in 1985 when I was 13 years old, um, I, I, didn't, I wasn't well-trained or well-taught at all in terms of Christian doctrine and, and theology. When I went to Bible college, I went to a Bible college, Miller College of the Bible in southern Saskatchewan up in Canada, and it was kind of an eclectic blend of students. You'd have evangelicals there and you know, charismatics, ex-charismatics, people with all kinds of different backgrounds, Baptist, Mennonite, uh, yeah, evangelical free, uh, um, all kinds of different denominations like that. So it was sort of an eclectic blend of theology that would end up being in the dorm that we would end up discussing doctrine after class and, you know, late at night and all of that. And I was exposed to a methodology for hearing the voice of God that I assumed was biblical because they used phrases like still small voice that I saw back in First Kings and you know, having a piece about it, which I read about in Colossians, and and verses jumping off the the page at me, and and I I heard about dreams and putting out a fleece like Gideon did, and God opening doors and signs and scriptures. So I thought it was a biblical methodology, and I assumed it was because the people who practiced it um, had passages of scripture that they would quote that would back up the methodology. So I assumed it was biblical that God spoke to all of His children, just as audibly and and demonstrably today as he did in scriptural times and that if god spoke to elijah and paul and peter that i should also be able to hear the voice of god that was sort of the working assumption behind the methodology and all of it kind of came to a crisis um at the end of my first year of bible college i had had gone to college only really intending to go for one year and then i was going to go home but i got to the end of that first year and and I had this desire to go back for a second year, and, and I wanted to know if that's what the Lord wanted me to do or not. I didn't want to be disobedient. I wanted to obey God's will for my life. And, you know, I'm an 18-year-old kid, almost 19, and just looking at a, a whole lifetime ahead of me wondering, you know, what what does God have planned for me? I don't want to, I don't want to disobey and, and <clears throat> not hear the voice of God or not read the signs or tea leaves or whatever it was and, and miss God's will for my life. And, and then I would be then I would be miserable. You know, I'd be stuck with a, a second-rate job or a second-rate ministry or a second-rate Christian life if I if I managed to make decisions without hearing from the voice of God. So I started to pray quite earnestly that God would speak to me and tell me whether he wanted me to go back to Bible college or not. And all the college students around me all talked like God was speaking to them audibly. And these were godly people that I knew, <clears throat> men, you know, men and women that I loved and respected and and they would talk about, you know, God just revealed to me or God showed me this and I put out a fleece. And so God, you know, the fleece came to pass and now God has revealed to me how to um, what I'm what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to come back or I am supposed to come back. And I, I wanted to know. I, I really, really wanted to know what God's will was for me. So I kept asking and praying for God to reveal it. And I didn't hear any. I didn't hear any voices. I was looking for signs. I didn't hear any signs. I would put out a fleece, and it would still be kind of undeterminate. And I had an open door to go through to go to Bible college for a second year, but I also had the open door to come back home and go to a second university and get a degree in accounting, which I wanted to do. And I didn't know which what to do. And I, that whole crisis really started to make me question whether or not this was a methodology for 
hearing the voice of God that was actually biblical or not. And I wrestled with that for the next couple of years, um, really in angst over whether I was making decisions the right way, until a Bible college professor there, really in my fourth year, kind of dismantled the whole methodology and and caused me to realize the Scripture is sufficient for decision-making and for knowing the will of God. And I began to abandon um, that methodology, and I really didn't have anything to replace it with until I came across Decision-Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen and a, a, a CD or an audio course by the, the same title by Greg Kokel, The Stand to Reason. And those two, that book and that audio series, helped construct in my mind a biblical methodology and helped me to see why it is that I was frustrated and, and what Scripture really taught about how God leads His people. So after I got into pastoral ministry, I would have people coming up to me constantly asking questions about this, and I would hear the language being sort of used in casual conversation that the Lord spoke to me or the Lord told me, or I felt led to do this, or, you know, I, I have a piece about this, or I put out a fleece and God opened a door and I went, I hear this language, and I started to realize I need to write a series of articles on this subject for a church newsletter to challenge people's assumptions on this and to give them a biblical framework. So I did that, and that series of newsletter articles, eventually uh, my wife and I became convinced it needed to become a book. So we took it, and I basically turned it into the book that is called God Doesn't Whisper. That's the story. It's kind of a long one. I apologize for that. but No, no, that's, no, that was great. You actually answered a few of the questions that I was thinking in my mind. I mean, this is not an experience as unique to you. I mean, you're you're basically coming to grips with what you've you've learned, and you're unlearning what you've learned, and coming to your own conclusions, and and getting all that bad theology that's been taught to you. And you're not the only one going through this. You're saying that you had colleagues and friends and people in school with you who all believe this. So this is not not unique to your experience for sure. Yeah, and, and one of the, I mean, the, the real crisis moment or the real angst over that decision-making process in that first year was the thought that maybe I wasn't a child of God. And that, that's what I wrestled with, is why do I not hear God audibly? Um, I've, I've placed my faith in Christ. I'm calling out to God. There's nobody on that campus that wanted clear direction more than I did. I was begging God for something, and I heard nothing that I thought I was supposed to be hearing. Why wasn't God speaking from heaven? Is it because I wasn't mature enough? I didn't know enough? It was because I wasn't his child? I mean, if all his sheep hear his voice, and I'm not hearing his voice, then does that mean that I'm not one of his sheep? And I think that the the whole methodology is a burdensome yoke that is placed upon a lot of people's Christian life that um, I hope that books like mine will set people free from, that, that angst over it. This is, you know, the expectation or the assumption that God is going to speak and that we can hear Him and that we need to learn how to hear Him, and that, that's all a bogus assumptions. It's built upon a, a bunch of flawed premises. Yeah, on the back of your book, you've got a little uh, blurb here from Justin Peters, and he talks about that. There's spiritual harm that, that, that happens when you get fall into that theology, and, and that's, thank God, that's what you avoided. And thank God for your diligence as well, too, because, I mean, you, what started as essays has turned into a book, and we get to benefit from that. So that's awesome. So we thank you for that. Yeah. And, and when I first wrote the—oh, sorry, I was just going to say, when I first wrote the articles, uh, I was just kind of dealing with basically just freshly discovering what these passages meant and what the flaws in this methodology were— um, and I, my intention was to go back and take those articles and basically just kind of cut and paste, revise them a little, make a book. But then I realized that I'd never interacted with the primary source documents of the people who 
were making this claim and teaching this methodology. So I spent two years um, reading through books like Whisper by Mark Batterson and Walking with God by John Eldridge and uh, How to Listen to God by Charles Stanley and Experiencing God by Blackaby. And I mean, I've got probably three feet of bookshelf devoted to books that I read over the course of two years to to interact with people from all over the theological spectrum, you know, people who call themselves cessationists who, who nevertheless are practicing a form of, of spiritual Gnostic uh, divination and trying to discern some whisper, um, all the way up to the charismatic end of the spectrum, people in the Word Faith Movement, Joyce Meyer and, and people in the New Apostolic Reformation who teach this. It's all across the theological spectrum, and I, so I spent two years just reading through all those books, processing their arguments, and putting it all together so that I could write what I really wanted to be a definitive takedown of the methodology. And that it is. Uh, one impression that I got as I was digging into the book is that I said to myself, this is very well researched. You heard the names that he named. I mean, he really goes into all these people that are pushing the HVG, which is a hearing voice of God theology out there. It's a very well researched book, and you definitely back up everything that you claim. You know, one of the things in Thank our... You. In, you're welcome. Thank you. One of the things that... Um, one of the principles, we have three principles that we've kind of launched our show with, and, and the first principle of being a relentlessly biblical person is to establish and maintain a high view of scriptures. And, and I'm going to read something from your book that caught my attention, and this is a quote from your book. You say in your book, no religious delusion has been more pervasive or brought more confusion into the church than the belief that God routinely speaks to people outside of scripture. End quote. I, we agree with that assessment. So, Please tell our audience, mm -hmm. why is it so important that we have a high view of Scripture and that people understand that God does not routinely speak outside of Scripture? Yeah, well, what, what is so perplexing about this methodology is that there are people who would affirm a high view of Scripture who also practice this methodology. So it's, it's not uncommon to read through books by, you know, Henry Blackaby, for instance, Experiencing God, where you, you'll, read, you'll read statements, uh, entire paragraphs, where he is affirming that the Bible is inerrant, the Bible is inspired, the Bible is infallible, the Bible is God's Word, it's, it's all, everything we need for life and for practice. Uh, you know, Wayne, Wayne Grudem um, believes that, uh, John Eldridge will say that, um, Bill Hybels will affirm that, Beth Moore will say that, Priscilla Schreier will say that, Charles Stanley, Dallas Willard, they all will, they all will make that statement regarding Scripture. But then it's in the practice. It's not, it's not just what they affirm in their words that this is what characterizes Scripture, that Scripture is important and significant and infallible and errant and inspired. It's, it's how, what they practice. Then they turn right around and say, but even though Scripture is infallible and inerrant and it's all that we need, we also need to hear the voice of God for the things the Scripture does not tell us give us instruction on. So Scripture doesn't tell me which woman to marry, it doesn't tell me which house to buy, it doesn't tell me which job to take, what ministry to give to, what missionary to support. Scripture doesn't reveal those things. Scripture gives me general principles, and then the assumption is that beyond those general principles, I need specific individual and personalized guidance for these various decisions that I need to make in the day-to-day. -day. And that if I don't receive this guidance, and I don't follow this guidance, whether it's trail crumbs that God drops in my path or um, signs that he gives me from heaven or uh, nudgings and promptings and the interior voices. If I'm not following that, then I'm in danger of disobeying God and missing his will and missing out on all of these rich blessings. Well, 
of course, in, in practicing the methodology, they undermine the assertion or their, their assumption that Scripture is sufficient. So I, I want to point people back to the Word of God and remind people, you have been given everything in Scripture, everything that pertains to life and godliness, God has already provided for you. You do not need a further word from God to know which ministry to get involved in, how to use your spiritual gift, um, which missionary to support. God has given you everything that you need to make wise and godly and God-honoring decisions and to enjoy His blessings in this world. So we just have to make sure that our lives are, are conformed to Scripture, that we're walking in obedience to His moral revealed will in Scripture, that we're practicing wisdom and applying wisdom to our decisions, and then we trust God for the, the outcome, the consequences of those. And so th this methodology is dangerous. It, it has brought confusion into the church because you, you always have people who say that they're hearing from God. They, they claim to be receiving revelation from God, and yet what they're claiming to receive is oftentimes contradictory itself to Scripture. And whenever there is a personal revelation that's fresh, that's new, that was given to me by God, and, and it contradicts Scripture— 100% of the time, I can tell you what wins out, and it's always the fresh, personal, individual revelation that ends up trumping Scripture. And so this, the, the methodology and the practice has brought confusion into people's minds. It has brought uncertainty. It, it put a yoke on people, and it has done a lot of damage in the Christian movement, in the Christian church. Yeah, um, I'm going to try to say this as nice as possible. I think that we've already established in what we've discussed so far, Christian and, and Pastor, that there are some people that are well-meaning, and they're not intending yeah, to right, deceive right. people no, right. in doing these things, Absolutely. okay? But I'm going to tell you, it's my experience, because I've never wrestled with HVG. I never wrestled with that whole hearing the voice of God, because when I got slammed in between the eyes with the Word of God, I dove into it head first, and, and to me, it was the authority right away. But... I can't get away from the fact that when I hear this from the pulpit especially, and when I hear from leaders in a church, that some of it's manipulation. Some of it is because mm -hmm. it's always thrown in in order to uh, you know, either rob somebody of something or tell them that they're missing out on a blessing or, or you're not going to know the whole truth unless this. And I've always sat in, in, in the congregation when I hear these things and I hear someone speak these things, I'm saying, well, what do I need my Bible for? Why don't I just take this and just chuck it aside? Because if he's getting private revelation, what do I need the scriptures for? Right. That's kind of my attitude. I hope that doesn't come out too harsh. But that's some that's some some that's how I feel sometimes when I hear some of this stuff. And I wonder how much of this is manipulation. How much is it people just trying to manipulate the the, the congregation, manipulate God's people with this theology? And the problem too that that uh, becomes a problem is that you know you have. Um, you know, pastors preaching, and it's kind of—it's not kind of hard, but you can see like what becomes the authority, like only strictly what they say or the word of God. Precisely, right? And so, um, what's—and I agree with you, Pastor Jim, as far as like it's very confusing how, you know, you do have mean, uh, meaning well Christians who believe obviously the authority of Scripture, but then they kind of add on, well, you know, God does still speak outside to us, just like He did to, you know, all these people in in the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing that I've heard was, why would God create us with the ability to communicate and then not communicate with us? Or the idea um, that um, teachers teach, uh, HCV teachers teach that we can learn to hear the voice of God because we are born with this ability, because we are his sheep. So are we born with the ability to hear God's voice? 
can we learn to hear God's voice? So I'm trying to play the devil's advocate here because these are uh, some of the um, uh, you know arguments that I kind of go back yeah, and forth you. with with uh, other believers and just to kind of you know receive some you know uh, help from you know you doing uh, studying on these particular uh, verses and chapters throughout Scripture and, and devoting your life you know two years to this stuff. Um, I'm just curious what you have to say to um, someone who says, why would God create us with the ability to communicate and then not communicate with us? Yeah, so my answer to that would be, what do you think Scripture is? Right. If you're, I mean, notice the assumption that is behind that objection or that, that counter that's being raised there. The assumption is that God hasn't spoken to us and that the only way that He really communicates to us is outside Scripture. Well, what do you think the 66 books of Scripture are, if not communication from God? So here's Here's poetry, here's narrative, here's apocalyptic, here's prophecy, here's didactic, um, you know, here's history, all of that woven together in this masterful book that none of us, given a thousand lifetimes, will ever plumb the, the glorious depths of this book with Amen. all of its connections and its redemptive themes and everything that is finalized in Christ and everything that God has for us will never fully grasp that. And, and we could spend a thousand lifetimes just studying constantly that book and appreciating it, and it would always we would always be finding new depths to it. So that is God's communication. So yes, He has made us a communicating a, a being, a being is able to communicate, so that we can pray to Him and communicate to Him, and He can speak to us through His Word. So He has communicated to us in the written Word, and it is to that that we must go to hear the voice of God and to know His will and to get to know Him because. That is that is where he is revealed. So the, the the objection that why would God make us communicative beings and then not speak to us? Like what do you think Scripture is? Scripture is God speaking, so He has spoken to us. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, it's interesting. But you can see how the objection just kind of points people back to the only the only legitimate speaking from God is when I hear Him in some way outside of Scripture, right. give me extra biblical revelation or or something that I'm not getting inside Scripture. Right. And that's always the, the kind of the argument is like, well, you know, I need a certain direction from this. The scripture doesn't uh, reference this. So, uh, you know, I had a vision or like I dreamed the dream. And I think that's God telling me something, you know, with this certain situation. Like it's always go, it always goes back to I feel I feel like this. And, you know, I will say to 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 um, give them some credit. It's never like God said this. It's not always it's never like this is what God is saying. It's always like, this is what I feel God is saying, and kind of I'm going with that. So how would you combat that, um, you know, and help someone understand that it's like, you know, your feelings don't really matter. It's really what Scripture says. And are you really digging into Scripture to really, you know, figure out what, you know, you should you should do? Yeah. Well, people who advance this methodology, they, they want to say that the type of communication that they're getting from God is just like Abraham, Moses, Noah, um, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Isaiah, Paul, etc. They want to say that just as God spoke to them, He's speaking to us. And then they say, they use this language, I kind of feel like God is saying to me, or I sense that God is saying to me. That is language that was never spoken, never used by anybody who actually heard God speak. So you don't get that anywhere in Scripture. There's no point where Isaiah says, I kind of feel like the word of the Lord might be this, and so would <laughs> you true. please test this or you know, see if you can confirm this. Paul never said, I, I sense that God, this might be the word of God. No, when men and women spoke uh, for God or when God spoke to men and women, there was never a doubt. Abraham, when he heard God say to him that he needed to sacrifice Isaac um, on, on Mount Moriah, 
there was never a point where Abraham was so convinced that he had heard the voice of God and that he understood exactly what God wanted, that he was willing to kill his son. There was absolute clarity to the revelation that Abraham received. And that, but that is not how people today, when they speak about God speaking to them, they don't use that language. Now, obviously, there are people in the charismatic movement that do that. You know, this is the word of the Lord, and they, they can quote and put quote and end quote behind it because they self-fashion themselves as, as um, prophets, modern-day prophets who are speaking, you know, ex-cathedra for God. So you, you'll get occasionally those. But what we're addressing here, you and I, is, is not that. We're talking about the well-meaning people, and you're probably otherwise cessationist churches who would uh, who would affirm a high view of Scripture and don't believe that God is giving them authoritative revelation. Well, when, when they use that language, I kind of feel like God might be speaking to me. They're using language that is not used anywhere in Scripture. There's never a doubt by anybody who actually heard God's voice that God was speaking. Well, I think a lot of that easy beliefism that's taught in so many churches today where people come to Christ and it's more about what they want and less about what God wants, I think feeds a lot of this delusion that hearing from, uh, uh, from God apart from the Scripture, it appeals to someone. Yeah. When you were speaking before, Christian, you know, it's people feel. How come I right. feel? It's it's not about feel. The authority is the Word of God. And, and I know that John MacArthur says this all the time, a shallow gospel produces shallow people. And so that's yeah. what a lot of these churches are producing. And, and it seems like they feed into that and they kind of use that to bring the, the crowd along. The, the, other, the other thing, too, is now that um, I, I you know, fellow believers and friends of mine obviously believe that, you know, the scripture is, um, you know, the authority of God. It's it's everything that we need. Right. Uh, that God uh, told us. And so um, what they attribute the voice of God now that it's it's different from when it was then to now because we have the Holy Spirit. Right. So you, you hear this language of like, well, we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will speak to us and let us know, you know, what we should do, what direction we should go. And, um, you know, Acts 829, when Philip uh, goes to the um, the uh, is it the Enoch, the the eunuch, the eunuch, the eunuch, yes. my bad, yeah. um, where he said where it says, then the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. How would you explain to a fellow believer that is that this is not a means of teaching us that the spirit talks to us in this way that he spoke to Philip? And does he does is that a way that the Holy Spirit communicates with us? Because. Granted, I don't think that they believe um, like they God speaks to them as he spoke to like Isaiah in that way. But now that we have the Holy Spirit, it's it kind of changes, you know, uh, a little bit in how God speaks to us because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Mm -hmm. So how, how would you kind of like combat that a little bit? Yeah, so there's two issues at play there. And, and remember these two in case I forget what the second one was. But um, <laughs> the first one is. We will not. Um, so the, the the two issues here they are. Let me let me give them to you quickly. The first the, the first issue is, yes, the Spirit of God did speak in the scriptural times, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So the Spirit of God is the author of revelation, and God speaks in the Old and New Testament in Scripture. That's true. We don't deny that. The second one is our experiences of the Holy Spirit and how that plays into this. So to deal with the first one, you know, we don't deny that the Spirit of God spoke to people in the New Testament. 
We, you see it in the book of Acts. Yes, it does happen. What I do deny is that that should be the expectation or experience of every Christian. And I do deny that Scripture promises that the Spirit of God will speak to us in the same way and through the same means that he spoke to the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament and the prophets and spokesmen for God in the Old Testament. There's nothing in the New Testament that says this should be the normative, everyday experience of all believers. That's just not there. And there's, no, there's nothing in the epistles that teaches us how to discern the voice of the Spirit of God and under what circumstances and, and on what occasions the Spirit of God will speak to us. Because I don't believe that the apostles expected that the Spirit of God is going to be giving private revelation outside of Scripture to all Christians for all time. We do see the Spirit of God authoring Scripture and in the book of Acts directing the apostles and those closely associated with apostolic ministry. And all of that direction in the book of Acts was given specifically for the advance of the gospel. Mm. So when you look at the Spirit's revelations in the book of Acts, it wasn't which car to buy, it wasn't which woman to marry, it wasn't which uh, Chinese restaurant to get your food from, which contractor to hire. It wasn't stuff like that. It was go to Bithynia or to Asia Minor, you know, go across the Aegean Sea into Macedonia. Um, it, it was it was massive shifts of gospel proclamation and ministry in the book of Acts. And that that direction by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts was almost always unexpected and unanticipated by the apostles. It came out of the blue. It wasn't like they were all sitting around listening and waiting for a still small voice. They were involved in ministry and doing things, and the Spirit of God intervened and gave them direction. And it was always associated with the apostles and those close to their ministry. And it was always for the purpose of the worldwide expansion of the gospel in the 30 years of the time frame that the book of Acts covers. So it was unique. It was unique instances that the book of Acts chronicles in terms of the Spirit's revelation. And then the second issue there is that we are, we're not promised to expect, or we're not told to expect, and we're not promised that we will receive any such uh, information from the Holy Spirit. We don't need the Holy Spirit to give us special revelation about who to marry or what contractor to hire or what house to buy or anything like that. We've been given enough information in Scripture to make wise and moral decisions, and that we should make those decisions trusting in the providence of God. So then the second part of your question was... Um, Oh, the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Um, it is true that the Spirit of God comforts us and encourages us and strengthens us and convicts us and guides our step and directs our hearts and inclines our minds and brings to memory Scripture, illuminates our hearts by the Word of God, uh, opens up His Word to us. It's true. All of those things are true. The Spirit of God does all of those things and so much more. He seals us, empowers us for service, gives us spiritual gifts, etc., um, so how do we how do we describe the work of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer today? Should we just say, you know, when we're walking through the, the checkout aisle at Walmart and we see the magazine cover with a scantily clad girl at the beginning of summer uh, in her bathing suit and our eyes hit that and we linger a bit too long on it and then suddenly we're convicted and we're reminded of that verse in Job that says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look on any impure thing. And do, do we... Do we use the language, the Spirit of God spoke to me, or that God told me, or God spoke to me? No, we shouldn't use that language. We should use biblical language, which, which is, you know, I remember this passage of Scripture that I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against God, and I believe that in that moment the Spirit of God called that passage of Scripture back, and He convicted me. That's all biblical language that describes the work of the Spirit of God as He interacts with His people in sanctifying us, in guiding us. We can 
we can describe, I, I feel compelled or I have this desire to go encourage this person. Um, that's a biblical way of, of phrasing or describing that, that experience that we have of the Holy Spirit. But we shouldn't say the Lord, the Spirit spoke to me because that implies that I can put quotes around the phrase, the Spirit spoke to me and told me to go encourage this person. So I, I use an illustration when my wife comes up and hugs me, she communicates to me that she loves me and she has affection for me. But it would, it would be proper for me to say that my wife gave me a hug and I felt loved. It would be improper for me to say my wife said to me, I love you. But she didn't say that. She gave me a hug. So when the Spirit convicts us, we don't say the Spirit spoke to me and told me, quote, X, Y, Z, unquote. It's appropriate to say I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within me. I felt conviction over the sin. I needed to repent and seek forgiveness. That's all biblical language. So a lot of times Christians who are having experiences of the Holy Spirit, they think in they think in unbiblical categories in terms of categorizing that experience that they have with the Holy Spirit. And rather than using biblical language, they just default to this vernacular of the Spirit spoke to me or God told me. When that's not necessarily the right way of describing it. Yeah, um, I definitely had that on my notes, and I'm glad you you went there. Yeah. You know, one of the things—I have a couple of quotes from your book, if I can share them with you. It, one of them is, modern evangelical vernacular is littered with the shrapnel of bad theology. Mm. Okay, and another yes. quote I want to share here is from your book. We should use biblical language to describe biblical concepts. We need to learn to think, reason, and speak in biblical categories. In doing so, we honor the Word of God and represent Him in keeping the way, keeping with the way that He has revealed Himself in Scripture. Uh, if there's two things that that stuck out, for, those two things stuck out in the book for me. The shrapnel yeah. and a bad theology, yeah. it's all over the place. And, and you kind of swerved into that topic. That was a little bit far ahead in my notes, but I'm glad that you went there because language means everything. Words, how yes, you speak, yes. it means everything. And you really have to be careful how you speak. I think of, of, of Paul when he had Timothy, his student, his young pastor that he was training. You don't hear him go out and tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, you know, feel for this and, and look for the Lord to give you guidance or yeah. nudgings. I mean, he, when he gives teaching and instructions to Timothy, it's very specifically go to the Word, preach the Word, yeah. okay? And that's a consistency that I see in Scripture all the time. And one more thing I want to I, I add to the conversation as well, too. We had this conversation, Christian and I, just last week. The book of Acts is not an, a, a book that you base your theology on mm. either, okay? Mm. Because that's a transitional period in the church, and you can make a lot mm. of wrong conclusions if you don't understand context. And, and I want to get into context now, uh, Pastor, because I think that context is also one of those things that's misused by a lot of these proponents of hearing the voice of God. They kind of twist and, and, and use the scriptures to get whatever they want to interpret out of the scriptures. What say you about that? Yeah, context is important, and, and not just um, the context of the verse in terms of the, the words around it, the teaching around it, the argument that the author is making, but also the historical context. So you're right, you do have things happening in the book of Acts that are historically unique. We don't have apostles today, and, and I, I reject the claims of the New Apostolic Reformation that says that they do have apostles. Amen. We don't have apostles today. We don't, we don't have an incomplete canon today. We're not in a time of transition from Judaism and temple worship to Christianity and home churches. 
Uh, we're not in a time of transition from synagogues to the church or from leadership by Jewish people to elders in the church. The, the book of Acts covers a, a, a radical change of, of God's dealings with man and mankind as the church is being formed, the church is being established and grown up, and, and you have revelation given to the church in the epistles, um, and the apostles are beginning to die out and persecution is coming in. That's a unique period of church history. So we, we shouldn't expect that everything that we see in the book of Acts is going to be duplicated today or it's going to continue today. But then there are things that you see in the book of Acts that are continued today. For instance, you have um, the abandonment of Old Testament sacrifices and uh, forms and functions that were associated with Old Testament Judaism. You see that in the book of Acts. You see that confirmed in the epistles. You see the establishment of elders and churches in the book of Acts. You see that given also in the epistles. You see the the proto-form of the deacons in Acts chapter 6. You see that established by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the, the diaconate. So there are things in Acts that you can see, okay, here's here's a model, here's something that happened, and here it's later on taught in, in the epistles as well. Um, and, and that's how you should read the book of Acts, through, I think, the lens of the epistles. Because in the epistles, you have the instructions given to individual churches, and sometimes in the case of First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, in those particular pastoral epistles, you have instructions given to leadership in the church as to how things, how, how things should function and what the normal life of the church should be. And it's interesting that in First Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul does not list hearing the voice of God as, an, as a qualification for elders or for deacons. Amen. If, the, if the modern hearing the voice of God movement were correct, and this is such an essential element of modern Christian life, and, and as um, Blackaby says, you know, it, it's essential for your church to hear the voice of God so you could know what you're doing and, and how to follow God and what God's will is for your church in, in the modern age. If that's true, you would have expected Paul, in one of those qualifications for elder or deacon, to give ability to hear the voice of God as one of those. Makes sense. Because what kind of a leader, if, if hearing the voice of God is essential for the church, what kind of a church is it that would have leaders that couldn't hear the voice of God? And yet, that's not a qualification given in the pastoral epistles. And this is not a practice taught anywhere in the epistles. So it's something we do see in the book of Acts because it is historically unique in its historical context. Um, we see God doing something in those 30 years of transition from 8030 to 8060. Um, and, and the book of Acts takes you, I think, basically up to 8062, somewhere in there. You have something happening there that is unique in human history. It was unprecedented. It didn't go on before, and I don't believe that it has continued, that everything in the book of Acts has continued through to the modern day. Yeah, if anyone's going to get anything from the book of Acts, go to Acts 17 and be like a Berean, okay? Testing, uh, yeah. examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things are true, no matter who says it, okay? So, I mean, that's one thing for sure that we can do today that is comes right from the book of Acts. You know, um, what do you say to those who propose this hearing the voice of God that you must be able to hear it or you'll miss what what God is is trying to say you kind of swerved into that a little bit can you elaborate on that and and I guess the larger question is if what if I'm not hearing it correctly or what if God is trying to reach me and, and I miss it what do you say yeah so I mean if God is giving if God is giving you instruction if that's the assumption that God's giving you instruction outside of scripture and and you need to hear this in order to be obedient and to live a god honoring life then of course there's everything hinges on that doesn't it there's a lot that rests on that what if you miss what God is telling you about which woman to marry 
or where to go. And and one of the things I deal with in one of the chapters on the faulty assumptions of the Hearing the Voice of God movement is how do you know what things you need to wait to hear from God on and which things you don't need to wait to hear from God on? Um, and I, I give an absurd example of a, of a T-shirt. What if the T-shirt that I choose to wear in the morning uh, opens up a gospel conversation for me as I'm, as I'm walking through Walmart? If I, if I neglect to hear the voice of God and wear the proper T-shirt, then I might miss that gospel conversation. That guy could go to hell because I didn't wear the right T-shirt. Mm. So hearing the voice of God proponents, they, they will tell you, you need to hear from God on, on everything, everything in life. But I promise you, these people do not wait to hear from God as to whether or not they should put cream in their coffee or which coffee to order. They make all kinds of decisions each and every day, all day long, where they are not listening for the voice of God. And they're not asking to hear God's voice. And yet, how, do you, how can you tell me what is a significant decision and what is an insignificant decision? I mean, there's a sense in which some decision in my childhood, uh, I made a decision in my childhood to go down and meet a guy in my neighborhood that ended up inviting me to church. That because of that, I got saved. And because of that, I went to Bible college. And because of that, I met my wife. So had I not gone down to see that guy's Hardy Boy book collection and meet him two doors down from me, what might my life have been different? How my, my life, I might have missed the woman that God had planned for me. So is it possible for us to miss God's will for us if we're not hearing his voice on all these little things? And when you believe, when you buy into the assumptions of the, I need to hear from God in order to make wise and good decisions and be obedient, then everything hinges on that, your ability to hear. And, and you have to live under this fear, and I called it earlier a burden, this fear and this burden that you might miss out on God's best because you weren't listening. And if you if he spoke and you didn't hear it and therefore you didn't obey it, you're morally culpable for that disobedience before God. And you might even not even know that you missed it. But but he was speaking and you didn't hear it. And therefore you're disobedient. And now you've missed out on God's best and, and you can't be blessed. That's the weight and the burden that this HVG theology puts on on well-meaning believers. Yeah, I, I definitely totally agree with that because I've even heard people say like, you know, I haven't gotten a peace from this situation yet, you know, from God. So because I don't have peace and God has got a peace, then, you know, I I I don't have clarity on this situation. Um, and, you know, would you say that because I, I have... I have these uh, conversations with my wife, you know, a lot. Um, and, you know, we talk about conviction and God's voice. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a topic that comes up occasionally. And so would you say conviction of the Holy Spirit is the same as God's voice? Or are they two separate things? Is it what God has given us through his Holy Spirit so that we can discern what the Word of God says? Because, like, you know, like, if you don't read the Word of God, how can you have conviction on, you know— a lot of things is the Bible teaches us about a lot of things. Like, um, so, yeah. you know, is conviction this, the, the, of the Holy spirit, the same as God's voice? Cause I know a lot of people contribute that conviction is God's voice or are they two separate things. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking earlier about using biblical language to communicate or describe biblical concepts. Um, conviction can be a feeling of guilt. Conviction can be a feeling of confidence. You know, I'm just, man, I'm, I have a conviction that Jesus rose from the dead. I also felt conviction when I sinned against my brother. Um, those are, we use the same word to describe two different things. They can both be functions of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance and conviction of certain things. You know, faith is the conviction of things not seen. Um, and the Spirit of God also convicts or makes us feel guilty for sin. It brings the Word of God to bear in the lives of His children and brings guilt where guilt is due so that we will seek repentance and restoration. And of course, the, the more 
um, the more time we spend in Scripture and the more we know the Word of God and the more that the Word of God dwells in us in terms of us understanding and knowing our familiarity with Scripture and thinking biblically, speaking biblically, and conforming our lives to Scripture and walking in truth, the more that's true of us, the more we are going to be sanctified by the Spirit of God and the more that we are going to walk in holiness and enjoy the intimate fellowship with God in the moment. And it's true that we will have more peace. I mean, I, I feel unrest if I go periods of time without studying Scripture or, or I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my prayer life is not what it should be or my, my service to the Lord is not what it should be. It's, it's appropriate for us to feel guilt and conviction and, and be unsettled in our own spiritual lives. But there's a settling and a peace that comes when we, when we simply rest in Scripture and we begin to be content with who God is and we are contenting ourselves in Him and, and walking with Him. That does bring a certain level of peace, and, and that's appropriate. That is a function of the of the Spirit's work. Yeah, and, and what if you're sitting there waiting to feel a certain thing or have a certain expectation in right. the flesh? What if you get the wrong answer? Yeah, that's the danger yeah. of this, right? This is What if you get the wrong answer? What if you, something that prompts you isn't the Word of the Lord at all? It's just a voice yeah. in your head? Or, we, are, we, are never, we are never encouraged in Scripture to be driven by our heart. Right mm. to lean on our own understanding to to check our emotions, how we feel about something. Um, we are never counseled in Scripture to be driven by our emotions or our feelings. In fact, we're counseled just the opposite to rely not on our own understanding to to not judge the word of truth by our emotions or how we feel. Um, our job is to speak truth to our emotions, not to be driven by them or to make decisions on the basis of them. So there's been lots of decisions that I've made where I. I it wasn't a peaceful time in my life where I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision to pastor a church or not. It meant altering the course of my life. I had to make a decision about um, marrying marrying my wife. That that changed my life forever. We had to make a decision about having children. Sometimes those decisions are e- easy. Sometimes they're decisions that you just you never feel settled on, but you have to make the decision anyway. And you might even make the decision, and, and you don't feel necessarily at peace with it because of all kinds of things that are going on in your life that you just, there's uncertainty, you don't know. But if you wait until I'm at perfect peace before you make every decision, then you'll never do anything that you don't want to do. Hmm. You'll never force yourself to do anything that God commands you to do that is not easy. Because it is not a, it, it, there's times when I get up and preach on a Sunday morning that I'm not at peace with it in, in the sense that I don't feel adequately prepared or I don't feel like I'm in the moment that I that I uh, have, have studied enough, that I've prepared enough, that I've thought through this enough, that I'm going to be clear enough, that I'm, that I'm resting in God's grace enough, you know, but, it, but if I just got up and preached every time I felt at peace with preaching, I'd probably preach half the times that I actually preach. We have to do things all the time that we don't want to do, that we're not comfortable with doing, but we have to do them anyway to be obedient, and we, and we shouldn't determine, we shouldn't let our, our peace or our, um, the peace that we have inside of our hearts determine whether or not we're going to obey God. Yeah. And I mean, that's I'm glad that you said that as far as like, you know, sometimes you don't feel like you're well prepared, you know, um, you know, sometimes in in your sermons when you're preaching at your church. And, you know, as a preacher, as someone who uh, preaches the gospel uh, to the congregation, to unbelievers, um, you know, I've heard I've heard this said before that the greatest disservice you can do to someone who comes to Christ is say that we can have a relationship 
uh, with a communitive God, but he doesn't speak anymore. Do you believe that? I mean, like, what would you say to that as far as that being a disservice? Is it a disservice to a believer um, who comes to Christ um, to tell them that God doesn't speak anymore? Outside of well, scripture? I disagree with, yeah, I disagree with the presumption that they're, they're assuming that scripture isn't God speaking, for one, and they're assuming that God needs to speak outside of scripture and that we should expect to hear God speak outside of Scripture, and that we can learn to hear God speak outside of Scripture. All those assumptions are built into that that objection. How, how can you do people a disservice by handing them the precious Word of God? This is His, his Word, which He has elevated above His own name. Amen. And this is His Word, which He honors. It's filled with precious and magnificent promises that by these things we become partakers of the divine nature. It's the Word that sanctifies us. It's the Word that informs us. It's the Word that tells us about this God. It's a sure and certain word. It is filled with with promises and principles and infinite divine wisdom. It tells us the history of the universe, the future of the universe, the future for all the redeemed, the future for the lost. It tells us of our glorified bodies, of our Savior, of God's redemptive plan, of all of human history. Everything that's needful for us to know is contained in that word. And so if somebody were to say, we do do people a disservice by just just telling them to go to their Bibles, I I object. I, I think that communicates a horribly low view of God's Word. And I would I would tend to reprove such a sentiment and say, you, you don't appreciate God's Word enough. You have no idea what you're holding in your hand, if that's your view of Scripture. Do you think giving an, a brand new believer a Bible does them a disservice? There's nothing greater you could give them. Mm-hmm. It does them a disservice to tell them, hey, now that you're a Christian, you should be, you should be driven by your emotions and whatever random thought pops into your head. You need to exegete that to see if that might be God's direction for you. It might be. It might not be. I don't know. You could turn out disastrous, but, hey, you got to exegete it and see if maybe God might be using that to, to speak to your heart. Uh, it, that's a disservice to them. When you give them the sure Word of God, you're giving, them, you're giving them everything that they need and everything Scripture says that they need. Amen and amen. Thank you for, for, for clarifying that and to speaking into that. Um, you know, because I've heard it also said before, you know, there are— <laughs> Christians out there that believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures rather than the Holy Spirit because we're so firm on uh, what you beautifully just said, like we have everything that we need for godly living to live a life um, uh, for every good work. Uh, That's what 2 Timothy 3.16. And, you know, a lot of there are a lot of people that think that we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures, that because we hold Scripture at such a high view, we kind of like push aside the Holy Spirit and put the Scripture in front of the Holy uh, 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 the Holy Spirit. And I honestly didn't know how to answer that because I've never heard that before, you know, that, that kind of like yeah. language, the Father, Son, and the Holy Scripture. And it kind of, you know, it, it made me think like, okay, like what is— what does that mean, number one? And um, how do you sort? How do you sort through that? Where it's not that you you have a love for God's word; it's what God has spoken to us. So you don't need to be driven by feeling or I think or you, you have certainty with God's word. I mean, obvi- obviously, there are some things that you don't have clear clarity on, but as long as it doesn't disobey what God has already commanded us. Um, you know, what do you say to that? Because uh, I, I honestly were, was at a loss of words. Yeah, they're, they're accusing you of a form of bibliolatry, basically a Bible worship. And, and I would just, I've had people say that to me, and I just say, I reject that out of hand. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God who gave me the Bible. And I have as high, of, I, I would say I have 
my goal is to have as high a view of Scripture and be as committed to the Word of God as God Himself is to His Word. I'm not there yet. As high of a view of Scripture as I have, and as much as I pursue it, and as much as I have confidence in it, I promise you that God's view of His Word is higher than mine, because He's God, and it's His Word, and, and I'm just a fallen, sinful creature, that as high of a view of Scripture as I have, it's not as high as God has of His Word. So, I, you know, they're accusing you with that statement, you believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture, they're accusing you of, of ruling out the Holy Spirit. And again, that's a, that's a straw man. My argument is not that the Holy Spirit is not active in our lives today. In fact, I think the Holy Spirit is far more active in our lives than people in the HBG movement seem to think that He is. I think the Spirit of God gifts us and calls us and sanctifies us and, and is providentially working in our lives constantly in ways that we don't even know. Right now in this conversation, I'm convinced that the Spirit of God is working in ways that you and I cannot even perceive and understand. Amen. He's, he's providentially guiding everything that takes place in our lives. And I see that and I believe that. But I just don't believe that He is putting random thoughts into my head that I have to run through some some paradigm system of checks and balances to try and figure out, is this the voice of God? I don't believe that the Spirit of God is so weak that He just speaks to me through promptings and nudgings and impressions and uncertain words. I think that the Spirit of God is so magnificent. He is so incredible that He has given to me His Word in 66 books of the Bible. That's how awesome and big I believe the Spirit of God is. Whereas the HBG proponent, the person who raises this objection, they think that it's far better to have some nudging or impression that you don't know if it's a bad taco you had for lunch or if it's the Holy Spirit. You can't tell. You've, you've got you've to exegete that to figure that out. They think that that is preferable to Scripture. And I say, you, you, just, you believe in the Father, the Son, and random thoughts popping into your head that are, that are an uncertain word. That's not my view of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, I do have a view of the Holy Spirit. He's far greater and more magnificent than the people who think that they're hearing from Him constantly um, through their random thoughts. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think people have a weak view of Scripture, and I think a lot of that comes from this. For instance, I, I mean, I'm very jealous of the Word of God. When I hear it misused, I mean, it, it really raises yeah. the hairs on the back of my head. And one thing yeah. that you hear all the time from these HBG people is that, you know, you've got to learn how God speaks. I mean, does God really need us to make a point? I mean, if God wanted to say something, he's going to say it loud and clear. That, right. So that claim right there and, and that whole teaching it to me is just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I 100 concur. Yeah, I knew you would. And you know, does this put does this put now does this put God in a box? Are we putting God in a box? Is that's the other uh, a piece that falls into this? Well, that see, we're putting I, God I, in a box. I'm on the other side of that. You're putting God in a box by saying that you need to look at these whispers and promptings. If God's going to say something to you, it's gonna, he's going to say it to you really clearly. <laughs> You, you understand? Right, right. I'm on the other side of that right, argument. Right, right, Really? You're, not, you're putting him in a yeah. box looking for stuff that you may misinterpret. And sometimes, you know, you may hear the wrong thing. And, so, and you, you can't hear—you uh, say this even in your own book, uh, Pastor uh, Osman. You cannot learn or hear something that is not being said. And that's a danger that's right. in itself, if, too. Yeah, if God is speaking, you're not going to miss him because he's speaking. And he, he, if he wills to be heard, he will ensure that you are—that he is heard over— all the noise in your surroundings and your busy life, etc. So if God is speaking, you're not going to be able to miss him. 
And if God is not speaking, you're not going to be able to hear him no matter what disciplines you cultivate or how quiet you are. Um, the whole the whole paradigm is is fraught with a self contradictory notion of of how we hear from God. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you. And in terms, of, in, yeah, in terms of hearing or, or in terms of God, putting God in a box, I'm not making any claims about what God can or cannot do. So they're they're suggesting that you're putting God in a box if you say He can't speak to you today. And I'm not saying He can't. I believe He can if He wanted to. I'm just saying He doesn't, and He doesn't need to. And I don't need to hear from Him because I have everything in Scripture. God can speak to me through my neighbor's ne- my next door neighbor's donkey, but I don't sit out at the fence line every night waiting for that donkey to speak because I'm expecting that uh, God did it in the past; He could do it again. I- I'm not I'm not doing that. And God could speak to me through any number of means, but I have no reason to believe that He will speak to me outside of Scripture. I have no reason to believe that I need to hear from Him outside of Scripture. So it's not putting God in a box to teach what God has revealed about Himself and how He works and how He speaks. That's simply to acknowledge about what God has said concerning himself. So if God himself has said, my word is sufficient, it's all that you need, um, do not expect to hear outside of Scripture, you, you have no reason to believe that, I've given you everything you need, um, my word is, is speaking to you. If that's what God has said, then for, to teach that or to recognize that is not putting him in a box. It's just, it's just acknowledging what God has taught concerning himself. Agreed. Agreed. You know, it's, it's funny because... I always go back to Christ. I mean, the Scriptures from beginning to end, it's about Him. It really is. Mm-hmm. And, and the more time you spend in Scripture, the more you know who He is. And if you know who He is, you would know that He is saturated with the Scriptures. When He speaks, mm-hmm. He speaks the Scriptures. I'll give you a perfect example just out of my own Bible study today, when the Sadducees confronted Him about the resurrection. Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. Okay, and he corrected them with scripture. So what's the problem? I mean, when he he basically said, "Look, you know, when God says he's the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then these guys are he's not the God of the dead; he's the God of the living." I mean, these guys didn't get that. Why didn't they get that? Because they don't know the scriptures. And I think this is where people get lost. They don't spend enough time in the scriptures. They don't spend enough time focusing on the person of Christ, who you'll see in the Old and New Testament, okay? And because you lack that knowledge, you lack that understanding, you swerve into all these different uh, uh, theologies that you're looking for something else. Because in your mind, scriptures are not enough. But all you got to look is Christ. Look at him. The scriptures were enough for him. Because he validated a lot of it during his ministry. What say you about that, Pastor? Yeah, um, Jesus constantly pointed back to the Word, and you see the apostles doing the very same thing. The Apostle Paul uh, encouraged the, the churches that he, he uh, started and founded and wrote to to read the Scripture. He told Timothy, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Um, as Paul was passing from the scene in Second Timothy chapter 4, he didn't point people to a pope. He didn't point to him to continuing revelation to modern-day prophets or still small voices. He pointed them back to the Word of God. He, he told Timothy that um, all scripture is given by inspiration of God as profitable for reproof of correction, training in righteousness, etc. Uh, Peter did the same thing when Peter knew that he was passing from the earthly scene and about to go to meet the Lord uh, in Second Peter chapter 1. He pointed people to the written word of God. He said, we have the, the word made more sure, the prophetic word made more sure than our experiences or even a voice from heaven. That's, in, that's key there. As, as Peter referred to the transfiguration experience of hearing the voice of God from heaven, he, he points to Scripture, and he says, we have the written word made more sure. 
right? A word which you do well to heed. Um, and he didn't point people to continuing experiences or continuing revelations, but back to the Word of God. So the, the, Jesus was about the Scripture. It was about explaining the Scripture and showing how the Scripture is fulfilled by in him. And and then the apostles did the same thing as they as they wrote the New Testament. They constantly quoted the Old Testament, pointed people to Scripture, and even pointed people to their own writings as a testimony of Christ and, and God's will for the church, um, always bringing people back to the Word of God. And when the apostles left, it was back to the Word of God. Amen. 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 And when you look at the, as you get to the end of the Bible and you start getting into end times, it becomes even more and more important. You know, the people who don't know the scriptures are the ones that are going to get fooled. Those are the ones who are going to yeah. be deceived because they don't understand the scriptures. I just can't emphasize that enough. A lot of this confusion is just because people are not in the Bible long enough. I know you had a question before yeah. we finish up with the pastor. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, what are some practical ways, okay, for, you know, obviously I have, uh, you know, Christian friends um, and believers who, you know, have come from this side just like you did, like, uh, on, like having a twisted view of this theology that God, you know, speaks outside of Scripture. He whispers to us, like, in, you know, that, that they grab that teaching from 1 Kings 19, and you kind of uh, touch on that point um, very, very well in your book. But, you know, to someone who's kind of um, unlearning that and learning the uh, the biblical way of how to have uh, how God speaks, right, um, what are some practical ways on how to have a gentle and, and loving conversation with a person who believes they hear God speak through any means, billboards, voice in the head, visions, dream, what will you name it, uh, anything outside of Scripture, um, based on the experiences that they've had in their life? Like, how do you have a, a gentle conversation with someone like that? Yeah, I've, I've had folks email me and ask me that very same question. You know, they'll, they'll say, I came out of this movement, but uh, and I have people in my congregation the same way. I have family members who are still caught up in it, and they think God is speaking to them through this and through that. And my encouragement is always, uh, for those who are close to you and you're having these conversations, you know, loved ones, that are, you're very close with, I think that the, the best way to engage that is to ask questions and to ask questions like, so why do you think that God is still speaking to you in that way? What, what verse would you point to that says that God is, that promises that God is going to, to speak to you in that way? And, and sometimes that can open up a, an opportunity to have a conversation about a particular passage, you know, the still small voice or Jesus statement in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, which just quickly for those listening has nothing to do with receiving private revelations at all. He is describing there the saving of his sheep. It's, it's the call to salvation that is the voice of God, not private revelation describing which contractor you should hire or, or which house to buy. Um, you, you can, you ask some questions about why do you think that this is how God speaks? And do you think that that is the best way to to find out what God's will is, and how do you know that that is certain, or how do you know that what you might experience or hear or get impressed by is actually the voice of God? How can you tell the difference between that and and what God might actually be saying? You know, how do you, how do you know that that's for certainty that that's God's voice? Starting those conversations with people and having asking questions, I think, is a good way to start those conversations. I think that that's a good thing. Um, and maybe sometimes with some people, you just have to simply challenge them and say, hey, I, I appreciate your heart in this. I know that you're not saying this maliciously and with bad intention. I know that you absolutely want the best for me and for you, but 
I just want you to know that I've been really thinking about this way uh, that I've been great raised to hear God's voice, or I've, I've thought forever about hearing God's voice. I've come to a new understanding on this, and, and I've come to understand that God's Word is sufficient and, and, and inspired, and I know you believe that God's Word is inspired and sufficient, and I've just kind of been working this out in my own life in terms of how I make decisions and how I, how I walk with God, and I'm no longer convinced that I should be looking for hearing God's Word outside Scripture. So that, that I think, is the kind of the two ways to approach it with people, is to, to share your own, uh, as, as long as they're open to it, your own testimony of, of how you feel about these things and what you're learning, and then also to ask them questions that might sort of cause them to think or question their own presumptions and, and methodology. Yeah, that's good advice. Thank and you. I really appreciate that. That's great advice, and it's always a good opportunity in my book when you can open up the Bible with somebody and say, let's go through the Scripture together and let's let's reason this yeah. out verse by verse. That's always a great opportunity because that's what people lack, doing enough of that. Yeah, you know? and, and yeah, you keep in mind that the people that you're trying to have these conversations with, they're not the enemy, and they're not people who are maliciously and intentionally undermining Scripture or denying essential doctrines of the Christian faith. They are, as we've said a number of times during this last hour, they are well-intentioned, well-meaning people who we can assume they love the Lord, they want to do what is His will. The whole reason they think they're hearing from Him and, and trying to pursue that is so that they could be obedient. And the mm. best way to have those conversations is to assume that that's the case with the folks that you're talking to, and then to say, I, you know, I, I, I'm just learning a Scripture, what that obedience looks like, and, and here's how I think it actually works out in my life, and, and familiarize yourself with some of the arguments that they use that I deal with in the book and some of the claims that they make, you've got to know some of those things so that you can begin to direct people back to the Word of God. And and you're approaching them in grace, understanding they want to be obedient, they love the Lord, and you, you do the same thing. You're asking them to assume that that's the case with you, that you're not trying to deny the work of the Spirit of God, that you're not trying to maliciously deny the work of of, of God in, in loving you and, and communicating with you. You're just understanding what Scripture says about these things, and you're wanting to share it with them. And as long as they're open and willing to listen, continue to have the conversations with them. Amen. 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 So we're out of time. Uh, Pastor, is there anything else that you wanted to share before we let you go? Or did we cover no, everything? No, I think you guys have done a, a great job of covering, uh, I think, as much as we can in one hour, the, the subject that we're dealing with. It's, it's been great. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate your we time. We appreciate you, man. And I'm just going to encourage everybody to get this book, God Doesn't Whisper. The forward is by John MacArthur. And, you know, the little stories that he mentioned earlier, I love them. Because it really brings the teaching down to a practical level, you know, like, uh, you know, how sh what contractor should I should I get? Those, yeah, yeah, those yeah. are practical things that, you know, some of the questions that you had, Christian, some of the things that that the, that people come to you when they when they believe in this stuff, he addresses in this book. And, and there's a part four that he just ties up loose ends where he has even questions about making decisions and answering objections. It's just such a great book. It's definitely in my arsenal as far as trying to share this with people and right. and getting their, their theology straight, if they are leaning towards that hearing the voice of God. Because they hear it everywhere. I mean, when the pastor and I were talking about booking this 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 uh, guest appearance on our show, I had just told him, I was at a church this past weekend where the pastor from the pulpit was saying, hey, listen, just listen for God's whisper. So it's out there. It's out yeah. there. So get yeah. this book, folks. It's going to be everything will be in our show notes as far as links to the book where you can purchase it, links to uh, Pastor Osmond's website, and everything that you need to know about this wonderful book. And he's got other works as well, too, which we'll highlight in our show notes and promote that there for you. And if you're ever out in Idaho, go visit him at your church. What was the name of your church again, Pastor? 
It is Kootenai Community Church, K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I Community Church, and you can access our stuff at kootenaichurch.org. There you go. And I, and I love the fact that it's a church he grew up with. What a privilege that is. That's awesome. That was cool uh, when you joy. said that. That was, that was awesome, like f- how God brought you full circle what without a hearing his voice yeah. through all of that. You know, that's awesome. He's planted out there in Idaho real good. Yeah. <laughs> but we appreciate Not going your, anywhere. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. So we appreciate your time and we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing with us and uh, hope everyone takes to heart everything that you've shared. So thank you and thank God you. bless your you, brother. Your words have been an honor. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, thank Pastor. You. God bless you, brother. God bless. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow, Christian, what a great guest. That was awesome. And you know what? I don't think I covered everything that I wanted to cover with him. Same, same. I felt like we could have gone like more than an hour with him. Well, the book is robust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot in that book, and and he's not kidding. He well-researched this thing. Um, You know, it's funny because I'm not one of those people that pushes a lot of Christian books because I actually feel there's a lot of Christian books out there that are questionable. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But this is a good book because it points you to the Bible, and I'm good with any book that points you to the Bible. And he does a good job of that, and he does a a well-researched book um, treatment of all the people that are out there yeah. that, that people are going to be familiar with that believe in the hearing the voice of God theology. I mean, you heard him. He said he's got a stack of books of, you know, all these people who teach this sort of uh, theology that God speaks outside of Scripture, and you can hear him and discern and learn, and you have this ability to do so, you know. Uh, so he goes through all those teachers that, you know, talk about this stuff. And on top of that, he actually goes through some of the scripture that they actually reference and goes in depth. Like, for instance, we didn't get to cover it, and I wish we did. He mentioned it a little bit in the podcast, John 10. About the sheep, my the sheep. That was in my, my notes voice. too. Yeah, and so it and that's been, an important uh, verse yeah. for these people that propagate this this theology. Yep, because HVG teachers mentioned this, um, and they also mentioned that um, that Jesus talks about a certain sheep, right? There, the the sheep, which is probably the Jewish people, and then he mentions another sheep. I think in verse sixteen, um, where it says these other sheep. Uh, let me see if I can go there and reference that uh, for you. But this is what um, HVG teachers or hearing the voice of God teachers teach that there are other sheep that Jesus mentions here um, that I think it's John 10, 16, and I have other sheep which are not from this fold. And, you know, a lot of HVG HVG teachers, um, you know, say like, that's us, the Gentiles. Yeah. You know, and the way Jim Osmond kind of breaks that down in the context, the historical context, what is a shepherd, the purpose of a shepherd, he breaks all that down in his book and helps you get the true meaning of what Jesus is speaking here. Yeah, we didn't catch everything. And then, you know, it's we only had an hour with him. But uh, I tell you, it's it, get the book. Yeah. Get the book because he treats every anything that you can come up with. He he kind of addresses in yeah. this book. And, and what a wonderful guy. Got a yeah. great Great sense of humor, too. Yeah, yeah, he does have a great (laughs) sense of humor. He was a pleasure to talk to and a pleasure to to kind of cover with this topic. And this topic was something that was burning in our hearts, like we mentioned when we started the episode. I know that there are folks out there that are challenged with how how they reconcile people who speak this way and have that language where they talk about these nudgings and and these voices or, or, or whatever it is that they're using outside of Scripture to say that God is speaking to them or leading them a certain way. I know 
that people are out there struggling with this. And this book is definitely something you need to refer to. It points you all back to Scripture. Like I said, it's very well-researched, well and it's all very scriptural, and he's, it's, it's, it's a good teaching book. It really, really yeah. is. So if you're struggling with this topic or you know people who are um, struggling with this topic or, or maybe, you know, totally, you know, I guess wrapped up in that whole thing and you want to try to reach them with, with Scripture and try to straighten them out, this is a good book to give away as well, too. Yeah, I thought that even the practical um, uh, points at the end that he gave, like how to speak with someone in a gentle and loving way about awesome. this topic, I thought that was very, very helpful. Because I know I, I know, I have friends who, you know, they grew up in the Pentecostal church or they grew up from this sort of idea that God whispers and God told me this, and they felt very discouraged that they don't hear that voice of God and they feel like, what's wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? And Pastor Jim Osmond uh, mentions that, uh, that he was going through that in his own journey, in his own life, which made him uh, do the uh, the studying for what this actually means, how God actually speaks. And I thought it was very helpful. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's easy to be left out when you don't understand what you're hearing from people and the pulpit. When yeah. it comes to, you know, where God speaks, there's, you know, truth exists in one place, and that's the Bible. God Amen. spoke, and everything he needed to say, he said it there. So there's nothing else to say except people get the book. Yeah. Get the book and read it. It's definitely one that you want to have and keep. Anything else you want to add to that, Christian, before we let our listeners go? No, I agree. Get the book. It's a great topical study on this particular topic. Um, so I encourage you, for those who are you know, struggling with the idea of like, I don't hear God's voice and what's wrong with me. Um, you know, it, it'll kind of sort out your theology with that stuff. And for those who are curious, um, you know, who brothers and sisters out there who, you know, do believe that God speaks outside of scripture, I encourage you to pick up the book and see what um, the Bible actually says about this topic. So I encourage you, brothers, we, we, we love you you guys too. Um, and I know uh, I have brothers and sisters out there that we, we talk about these topics and I, I love them dearly. So I just encourage them to kind of, you know, uh, dig into this stuff a, a little more. So um, Yeah, and it's an entertaining book. The way he put it together is there's a lot of good examples and a lot of practical examples Yeah, yeah. as well too. It's definitely not a boring read. I had fun reading it and I'll probably read it again. All right. But all the information regarding Jim Osmond and his ministry will be in our show notes, the book and where you can get the book. We'll have links for all of that. And of course, the website where you can learn more about him, maybe even reach out to him as well, too. If you got questions, I mean, you heard him. He's got yeah. a pastor's heart. He sounds like a pastor, don't he? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good pastor, someone who would come alongside you and help you out with a difficult topic like Amen. this. So that's what these resources are here for. That's why we present them. And that's why we get people like this on the show, Christian, because this is opening up people's understanding of the scriptures. Amen. And But it's like we teach, and I mentioned this when we spoke to Pastor Osman. I mean, you know, you've got to have a high view of scripture. It's got to be the top. Th that's why we call the podcast Relentlessly Biblical, because it's always got to be about the Bible. Amen. And you can't go wrong there. It keeps you it keeps you grounded and when the funny stuff shows up, it kind of alerts you and says, "Wait a second, I didn't read that. Christ didn't talk about that. Yeah. That's not consistent." But if you're not in it on a regular basis and you're not saturated with the scriptures like we always promote people to do, you can get caught up in this stuff. So, educate yourself, get this book, listen to this podcast again, share it. 
with your friends. Yes. Share it with everyone. This is definitely one to be shareable. So anything else before I take us home? No, that's it, man. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you for everyone who supports us by listening and also support us in any other way, especially when it's sharing what we're doing here with others. That's an important thing to do. And we're hoping that we can aid you in doing that, getting this information out to you. So we love you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We did. And we'll have more like this coming, I promise you. Yep. Take care, everyone. God bless, God you, bless guys. you. Bye-bye. Just before you go, let me take just one more moment of your time. Thanks to Pastor Jim Osmond. We have copies of his book, God Doesn't Whisper, for the first five listeners who click on the free book giveaway link in our episode notes. Just fill out the form with your information, and we'll get that book out to you for free. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that we have been an encouragement to you. This episode has been made possible by listeners like you. Please consider partnering with us through your prayers and gifts. Your support enables us to provide sound biblical teaching that helps others open up their understanding of the scriptures across the globe. To support this show financially, click the Donate Now link in the episode notes, or you can visit our podcast website at relentlesslybiblical.org and use a donate link in the podcast player or the Support This Show button that's on our homepage. Thank you for your gracious support. Join us again for our next episode, and remember to always be in God's Word and stay relentlessly biblical. This episode has been a production of Core Truth Media, owned and operated by Core Truth Ministries. This podcast was recorded and engineered at Prevail Studios. 